Hello, and welcome to the Christ Table Podcast. Today we bring you the Sunday, August 22nd message entitled, What is the Greatest Threat to the American Family? I'm Kevin Young, a media guy turned minister who's passionate about helping others thrive, especially spiritually. If you're unaware, Christ Table is a movement of people returning the church to her roots in homes, around tables, over food with old friends and fresh conversations. Check us out over at www.christtable.today. In the meantime, we look forward to bringing you today's message. Let's dig in. This week, I had a Facebook post that kind of blew up. Maybe you caught it, but if not, here it is. In 1983, Jerry Falwell's Moral Majority released this as the cover of their monthly newsletter. Now, founded four years previously, the Moral Majority sought to build a coalition among a new voting segment, the religious right, hoping to impose traditional family values on the politics in the United States of America. Now, while they focused on issues such as abortion, divorce, feminism, school, prayer, and equal rights, it was actually their stand against gay and lesbian rights, and one could say their stand against gay and lesbian individuals, that generated the most support among their donors and the most support among evangelicals. It really should come as no surprise, then, that the moral majority and other Christian political advocacy groups of the day would seize upon the AIDS epidemic to bolster their argument that traditional family values and the American family itself was under attack. Now, while it's historically questionable as to how many Christians in the early 1980s wore masks to protect themselves from those with HIV and AIDS, it's clear that a number of Christians ostracized AIDS patients, saying that the disease was actually God's punishment for homosexuality. It's also clear that the Christian community mostly abandoned those who contracted HIV and AIDS, leaving the care of both their body and even their soul to somebody else who cared. Now, I want to show this picture again and the article title. It seems as though many Christians cared more about themselves than an LGBT person in dire need fighting for their life. Since the 1980s, many Christians have continued to respond to great public needs in much the same way, thinking of self first and others second, if at all. Whether it be a topic such as immigration, prison reform, the elderly, climate, refugees, humanitarian crises, poverty, healthcare, or even most recently, the global COVID pandemic, far too many Christians have first asked this question, how does this affect me personally? And if the answer suggests that it's going to affect me as a Christian personally, my finances, my freedoms, my ease of living, then oftentimes whatever the topic is, is judged to be anti-Christian and Christians end up fighting against it. Sometimes, no matter what the Bible says. The problem with this 
me first mentality, be it during the throes of the AIDS epidemic or the COVID pandemic, is that it is decidedly opposite of the way that Christians have reacted to community and global needs for, well, nearly 2,000 years. Christians have always been on the front lines of epidemics, pandemics, and community crises until modern times. Christians were always the first boots on the ground, selflessly risking their own safety and freedom in times of great need. The early Christians took seriously the words of Jesus, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Or these words of Jesus, love your neighbor as yourself. Or these, greater love has no man than this, than that he should lay down his life for his friends. The earliest Christians thought of themselves as being less important than their neighbor. Because of that, because of that kind of theology, they practiced radical selflessness and radical self-sacrifice, even to the point of death. And this way of thinking wasn't simply a philosophical exercise that was divorced from reality. It wasn't merely a platitude. The first Christians knew far too well about the devastation and loss of life that epidemics and pandemics could bring. Just after the close of the New Testament, the world was brought to its knees with several successive epidemics. For instance, at the height of the Roman Empire, just after the close of the New Testament, returning soldiers brought back with them a devastating plague as they returned to their homeland in Rome. It was known as the Antonine Plague. The epidemic ravaged the Roman Empire for 25 years. It killed roughly 2,000 people a day in Rome alone at its deadliest. Some historians even suggest that this plague alone killed off roughly a quarter, 25% of the entire Roman Empire before it finally ended. This plague should have actually killed off the new and fledgling Christian sect, especially because most Romans viewed a Christian's unwillingness to venerate the Roman gods as part of the reason why the plague happened in the first place. They, in the beginning of the plague, blamed Christians. But instead of the Christian's religion dying, Christianity grew. Why is that? Simply put, Christians cared for the sick when nobody else would. Christians put their lives in danger in order to help others. Those who survived the plague began to convert to Christianity in droves, having never seen an example of such radical and selfless love ever before in their lives. Two generations later, an even worse pandemic, the plague of Cyprian erupted. It was an Ebola-type plague that lasted over a decade and killed up to 5,000 men daily in Rome and Greece's largest cities. By some accounts, 50 or 60% of those living in the major metropolitan regions died during this pandemic, half of the population of the cities. Interestingly, though, we call this one of the 
worst pandemics in known human history, the plague of Cyprian, because of a Christian because of a Christian bishop of Carthage who was named Cyprian. The plague is named after him, and not because he started the plague, but he witnessed the plague, wrote sermons about it, and those sermons survived till modern times. What we know from the history is that Cyprian and other bishops encouraged Christians not to resist grieving for victims because they were in heaven, but instead to double down on their efforts to care for the living and the sick among them. They encouraged Christians to get involved in health care, and they did. Christians radically cared for their neighbors during the plague, even to their own peril. And what was the result of that? Again, it was even more explosive growth in Christianity. Actions speak louder than words. In epidemics and pandemics, actions speak louder than words. In fact, Christians' reputation for selfless service during these world crises began to become so great that the very anti-Christian Emperor Julian is on record as complaining bitterly about how Christians would care for even non-Christian sick people. The world simply couldn't understand it. Their selfless behavior in a time of great need shocked the world. Dr. Rodney Stark, who's a sociologist, suggested that death rates in cities with a strong Christian presence were actually cut in half from cities where there was no strong Christian presence. And this mindset of radical selfless sacrifice by Christians for the sake of others continued for centuries. Nearly a thousand years later, in the 1300s, when the Black Death struck Europe, Conservative estimates say that a third of the world died, somewhere in the neighborhood of 20 million people. The Black Death was so lethal that many people went to bed well, but were dead before morning. Many doctors contracted the illness from their patient's bedside and died before the patient. When the graveyards filled, bodies were thrown into the rivers or in pits dug for mass graves. When the pits were overflowing, bodies were simply left in the streets and in front of doors of homes. People abandoned each other. It was every person for themselves, except for Christians. Historical archives show that nuns were noted for having no fear of the Black Death and attending to the sick as best they could with humility and with kindness. And as many of those nuns died, new nuns came in replacing them, knowing that they too likely would die. Selfless, self-sacrificing love, no matter the outcome. In the 1500s, when a plague struck the world, Martin Luther, who was alive during the plague, followed the example of those early Christians. He refused to flee. He refused to take refuge in the countryside. And instead, he decided to stay in the city and to help the sick physically and spiritually. He actually put himself and his family in danger by caring for other sick people in a radical way, opening his own home to care for those who were sick. And in fact, that decision cost his daughter Elizabeth her life because he made a choice 
to actively love his neighbor, no matter what. In a tract that he wrote later entitled, Whether Christians Should Flee the Plague, Luther famously argued that Christians must choose to die at their posts rather than flee their professional and spiritual duties. Luther argued that while we should pray for God's mercy, we should do so alongside of good medicine and good sanitation, self-quarantining, and social distancing. Faith wasn't enough, Luther said. You see, for centuries, Christians have been championing a love-your-neighbor kind of religion that shows its love through social distancing, that shows its love through quarantining, that shows its love through taking medicine like vaccines. It's been the Christian way for 2,000 years. If you want to know how Christianity went from a rather obscure and marginal movement of a few hundred thousand people to around six million followers of Christ in less than 200 years or so, Dr. Rodney Stark will tell you this, that the Christian response to plagues was the greatest determining factor in the growth of the church. Because of how they responded during epidemics, the church grew rather than died. During the Spanish flu of 1918, when millions were killed around the world, churches in the United States closed for worship. But many actually reopened almost immediately as healthcare clinics because hospitals were so full. And yes, that picture is a picture of a church in 1918 set up to receive people. Times like this are an opportunity for Christians to either show the world that we care more about them than anything else in life, or to show the world that we really don't follow the Jesus of the Bible. And the choice is really that clear. Remember that plague of Cyprian back in the early days of the church? Well, another bishop during that time, Dionysius, he was the bishop of Athens, Greece, and he wrote, most of our brother Christians showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another. Heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ, and with them departed this life, serene and happy, for they were infected by others with the disease, drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbors and cheerfully accepting their pains. Many in nursing and curing others transferred their death to themselves and died in their stead. You know what chokes me up just a little bit about that quote? It's actually not the Christ-like love that he speaks of here that makes me pause for a moment. The Christ-like love shown by Christians choosing to willingly die in the place of others. No, that's just what it means to be a Christian. What chokes me up about that quote is the first line. Most of our brother Christians showed unbounded love and loyalty. That word, most. Most? It means that there were a number of people who did not practice love for others and who were loyal to themselves rather than Christ, who asked, how does this affect me personally? Were Pastor Dionysius writing today, I fear that he would not be able to write that most Christians showed unbounded love and loyalty. 
fear that he would probably have to write something such as few Christians showed love and loyalty to others. If I may be transparent, I've been shocked by the Christian response to this pandemic. I've been shocked by Christians who refuse to quarantine if it comes to that again. I've been shocked by Christians who refuse to wear a mask proudly, boldly. I've been shocked by Christians refusing the vaccine. I've been shocked by Christians' encouragement of others to avoid masks and vaccines. I've been shocked by Christians who say it's arrogant to suggest that Jesus has an opinion on the matter. And I've been shocked by Christians perpetuating conspiracy theories. I have been, and this one gets me, shocked by Christians shouting personal freedom in the face of science and logic and the health of others. I've been shocked by Christians who have essentially said, me first. If someone could point me to the biblical text that tells us that our personal freedom is more important than compassion, that our personal freedom is more important than love of neighbor and the way of Jesus, that'd be great. But you know what? You can't point me to any biblical text like that because it simply isn't there. Christianity is never me first. Ever. What is there? What is there are verses like these. Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? Or a stranger and show you hospitality? Or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, and Jesus will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, someone in need, my brothers and sisters, you are actually doing it to me. Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one of mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests to what's best of others. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all of your strength, with all of your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You see... The greatest threat to American families, the greatest threat to America itself, 
It isn't homosexuality. I'm sorry, Dr. Falwell, but you're wrong there. The greatest threat to America and to the American family is a person who professes to follow Christ, but who is me first, who puts their own self or their own national freedoms above and before other people, period. You know, ancient Christians would have literally not recognized much of what calls itself Christianity today. As Josh Scott, a pastor, has said, the American church is what it is because we have embraced a hermeneutic, which is a reading of the Bible. We have embraced a reading of the Bible of selfishness, of American exceptionalism, of nationalism, of greed, of escapism, of patriarchy, and supremacy. And that's just for starters. It's time that we started loving our neighbor once again. It's time that we begin modeling the kind of radical love that doesn't care how a mask or vax affects our freedom. It's time that we became willing to die, not die in a holy war or crusade or Armageddon. I doubt this is the end times. Calm down but that we would be willing to die for our sister or our brother in need. If that's what it takes during this pandemic. Why? Because that is how Christians have always behaved. It's time that we became people worthy to wear the mantle that the early church handed off to us. Not so that we might grow in numbers by the millions. No, but because it's the right thing to do. It's the way of Jesus, and there is no other way. Today's message is brought to you by Christ Table. If you'd like to know more about us, head over to www.christtable.today. We'd love to have you join us. You know, 65 million adults in the United States have dropped out of church, and that number will grow by 2.7 million before the end of this year. We here at Christ Table are committed to doing something about that. We're committed to creating a world where the table is once again the center of the home, the center of family life, and especially the center of faith formation. Our mission? It's simple. To help people eat freely and drink deeply of life and of faith. Find out more about us by going over to www.christtable.today. When you get over there, be sure to sign up for our email list. And for those who choose to donate, I've got a resource box that I want to send you in the mail as my thanks. And trust me, you're going to like it. By the way, the podcast is available because of the generous donations of our listeners and the incredible community of people who call Christ Table their spiritual home. We invite you to join us on this podcast regularly, Monday through Thursday, as we walk step-by-step through the book of Ephesians. And if you'd like to watch the Bible studies live, there's more information on our website about that as well, www.christtable.today. Thanks so much for joining us. We wouldn't be here without you. Until next time, I'm Pastor Kevin Young.